Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. What is up? High learning is on. It is I, Van Lathan. And it's me, Rachel Lindsay. Rachel, we have to talk about something. No. We do. We have to talk about something. <laughs> Whatever it starts out this way. We do. I don't know. What is it? So, Rachel, we got a very nice direct message from someone who we both are big fans of. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Aldis Hodge reached out to us and told us that he loves the podcast and for us to continue doing what we're doing. You guys know Aldis Hodge, nigga swole as hell. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. You know him. Um, he has been in so many st- he was in, you know what he was in when it was the swoleness was really off putting? He was in the uh, the invisible man. Did you see that? No. You never saw hold on. I know, first of all. I'm not doing the movie thing. I'm not doing the movie thing. Don't do the don't do the movie thing. But this is a new movie. Let me tell you what you and Brian need to do. And everybody who is listening to this, Thought Wars, this movie got fucked because <clears throat> it came out when the pandemic was first getting popping. When they first, when it was a uh, oh, with the yes, with this the is a lost. good movie. Oh, we'll watch it. It is scary. It is all fucked up. It is a good movie. The Invisible, the Invisible Man is like, <clears throat> it's a take on Invisible Man. It's, it's like a horror type of deal this time. You know, Elizabeth Moss, you see her face. She's from uh, um, uh, Handmaid's Tale. Uh, yes, really good. Yes, All this correct. Hodge is in that. Super swole. Super swole in the movie. It's like, you know, come on. We don't have time to work out like you, so don't you put a shirt on or something like that. It's but upsetting. yeah, he's been in a lot. One night, uh, Miami. One in one. Yeah, yeah, all of that. Um, um, straight out of Compton. He's a movie Brian star. Brian Banks story. It's a movie star. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he hits us up on Instagram DM, and he says, "Uh, <laughs> he's just shooting some support at us because he really likes what we're so doing nice. on the podcast." Apparently, he did not hear the episode where I talked about my my tweet about the mothers, but he'll get there, and then maybe he'll take it back. Um, he and I, you know. Came back at him with some praise. Like, hey, because he's playing Hawkman in the new Black Adam movie, which is huge for me. Black Adam's a big movie. It's a big movie, but they put in the Hawkman. I don't think we've ever seen a live action Hawkman. I think we saw him on the um on like the Arrowverse stuff on TV. But in a movie, Hawkman is one of the coolest characters we've ever seen. Hawkman, and they got him he's black. So I hit him back. I'm like, yo, man, you Hawkman. Appreciate the words. Rachel left this man on red. No, I did not. I wrote back later, just before the podcast started. You wrote back. <laughs> I felt like I mean, I'm like, look, man, we talking to all this Hodge here, all this Hodge. Rach, Rach hit him with the Hollywood Heisman. No, not, I didn't. Yes, I did. saw it and I was like, ooh, and I was at work and I was like, I got to go back and I got to make sure that I respond to him because that's so. It's one thing to listen, but it's a totally so different amazing. thing to reach out. And show and say that you support us. Like I thought that was everything. So if I didn't do enough in the message, <laughs> let me just speak now and say I take like that's above and beyond. And I think too often we think things, but then we don't give people their praise. Wow. We don't tell people what we're thinking. Yeah. We keep that within. So the fact that he did that and him being this big like superstar that I, that was everything. So that's you nice know guy. if you didn't get it in that, take it now because oh. that that was you never know who's listening. I actually, maybe. So nice. I, Actually, maybe I actually sent a picture of Hawkman to the chat. Man, man, nerded out. I nerded out. <laughs> you 
you know what? It's cute. You know why? It was cute. I nerd out like that. I nerd out like that because, you know, that's just, that's raw to me. Like, you just get to be able to be Hawkman. It's cool. It is. It's cool. Yeah. You play like that when you're kids, but then to to realize that, it's a pretty big deal. I play basketball it's a, it's with his deal. brother. His brother's a nice little basketball player. He does his thing. They look alike? Oh, yeah, they do. They do. Like, they, like his, his brother. His brother's got his own amazing career going as well. Like, these... It's 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 crazy when the talent goes in the family like that. His brother Edwin, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, they got, he's got his own amazing career going right now. Like, he's die hard with Avengers, Long Kiss Goodnight earlier on and stuff like that. Now he's on that uh, what show is he on? He's on that like a CSI type of show or something like that. Or was it the, the, the some kind of like it was like a I don't know. It was like a Navy Seal or something. Anyway, but we would out. We would go out there. We would play, and Edwin would be out there getting buckets and stuff like that. It's good. It's good stuff. Good stuff. So shout out to the Hodge brothers. They're doing their things out here in Hollywood. It's tough, but they're making it happen. How was your weekend, Rach? Well, I worked typical work. weekend, I guess. I um, I worked the NAACP Image Awards. Interesting. Um, it was all virtual. Which was, that was the interesting part. Carpets are back open, especially <clears throat> with the SAGs being on Sunday. Carpets are open. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a carpet. They didn't have an audience. Everything was virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't checked it out, I think it's replaying again tonight. But it was, it was great. People showed up. They dressed up, even from their homes. Black Excellence was there. Jennifer Hudson won big. Anthony Anderson did a phenomenal job hosting in front of no audience. Uh-huh. Hosting, uh, his mom was there doing a little thing with him. It was good. Yeah. It was it was a uh, it was good to watch. When you work a carpet with black people, a black carpet. <laughs> oh, yeah. When you do a black carpet, do you bring a different energy than you do like on a regular like red carpet? Like let's say you. I'm going to give you two different carpets. And I want you to tell me how you switch it up. Let's say you're doing the carpet for the best man retirement home. Because, you know, they're going to keep doing those movies until <laughs> all the people are retired. If we homes. get to retirement home. That's no. funny. That's funny. The best man <laughs> retirement home. Let's say you're doing the best man retirement home versus uh, what's the Renee Zellweger one? Bridget Jones. Bridget Jones. Diary of, Diary. Bridget, Jones. Diary of Bridget Jones. Part six. The grandkids, like how do you how do you switch it up? Do you code switch on red carpet? I don't. I don't code switch. At least that's what I tell myself. Right. And then I'll go back and I'll hear an interview, and I'm like, hmm, you sound a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more loose, right? When you work that opening of Tyler Perry Studios in right. Atlanta, than you did when you were on the carpet for, I don't know, Diary right. Bridget Jones or yeah. something. Yeah, I don't think I do, but apparently I do. It's within me. Apparently there is a switch that goes on and off. I code I switch. guess the same switch that happens with the podcast versus uh, extra, you know? Yeah. They say there's multiple Rachels. To like millions of Rachels all, all over the galaxy. Rachel variants like on Loki. I code switch like a motherfucker. But I go from <laughs> nigger to niggerer. Like I go... <laughs> I go from. I'm going, I don't think I've heard your code switch. I, I don't know if I've heard it. You have because think about it. You have, but it's 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 like it's, I go from nigger to nigger. I go down, and sometimes yeah, sometimes I code switch 
with white people purposely to get more niggerish to make them uncomfortable. You know? Do you? A little bit, because it's like, it's like, you know, like the first time I meet somebody new, I think I've told you this before, and they're white, I ask them straight up, how many times have you said the N-word in your life? You know, how many times have you said it? And this, so this uncomfortable. <laughs> it is for them, but it's delightful for, for them. them. Yeah. Anyway, but I was just wondering, do you get a chance to cover a lot of all black events for extra? Um, I go to all the the all black events. There's an all black event. I'm there. They send you there. But you know what? And I thought about this. I'm like, should I feel a certain way that I'm sent there? And of course, that's never said. But you know what? I'd be offended if I wasn't there. It's such a weird thing. I would be offended if it, you know, it's like, well, why am I not working there? It's so, it's so, you people don't get this. When I was at TMZ, it was like they give Van all the black stories. And sometimes you think they give me all the black stories, but then you're standing there. And if somebody else gets a story and it's a black story, you're like, yo, why the fuck would you give that to them? Exactly. It's so weird. I was interviewing, I interviewed Samuel L. Jackson today. And I was in my mind, I was like, I better have Sam. Yeah. Like Samuel better, like it better go to me. Right. You know, sometimes if if Billy has a relationship with them, he'll Billy. get it. But usually it comes, it goes to me. Fucking Billy. It goes to me. Billy, uh, Aldous Hodge just responded. Yeah. You I'll, didn't even, you didn't even ask if we had permission to talk about his, his direct message. I don't think he cares. <laughs> but he's, he's a very sweet guy. He's a very sweet so guy. Nice. So yeah. nice. Yeah. <clears throat> very sweet guy. We love all our thought warriors. We do. All our thought warriors. Ah. Van, Van. <laughs> I'll remember something that your mom said. She said that when you when you like someone, you give them shit. And thought warriors, especially those active in the Reddit, oh. loves to give y'all shit. It's all love. It's all love. Okay. All right, he loves now. it. Okay, he loves y'all. Okay, what do you always say? The most popping Reddit uh, subreddit uh, out it was there. Before it was before. Uh, uh, it's okay, you guys. You guys, right. we love y'all. Uh, um, <laughs> now we have some very, very not so awesome things to talk about. Okay, we have a uh-uh. uh, guest on today, Steelo Brim. From Ridiculousness as a guest on Higher Learning today. He's going to talk about his new rap career. He's going to talk about his first look deal with MTV. He's going to talk about Ridiculousness coming back for a a brand new season. He's going to talk about his podcast, which is amazing. The Wine and Weed podcast. He's going to talk about the big Drea moment that happened on, I wouldn't call it a big moment, the controversial Drea moment that happened on the Wine and Weed podcast. He's going to talk about a lot of stuff. We're going to have a lot of fun with Steelo a little bit later on. Uh, before we get to any of this stuff that we're talking about, we have to talk about, obviously, the state of our world right now and what's going on in our world right now. Um, and we're going to do that even as it relates to an interview that we had earlier this week on Higher Learning right mm-hmm. on the other side of this break. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. 
This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Okay, Rachel, have you been keeping up with what's going on over in the Ukraine? I have, to the best of my abilities, been. It's it's hard not to, you know? Like, you say, you, like, at least I say, oh, I need a break. It's very heavy. You know what I'm doing more, more than watching videos? And watching the news, I feel like I'm reading. Um, that gives me a little bit more, not that I'm trying to have space from it, but I can, it protects my mental health in a, in a, in a better way, if that makes sense. Right. So I'm keeping abreast of what's going on, staying updated, trying to share information on social media, but rather than watching videos, I'm more into reading articles. Wow. So interesting. I'm exactly the opposite. Hmm. Like, okay. Um, I feel like I read more articles before, but as things are 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 shaking out now that there's action to it and stuff, I feel like I find myself watching a lot of videos. How that is actually very fascinating that like I find myself that we're consuming it in two different ways. Either way is fine, but like I'm, right. we're consuming it in different ways. It's just interesting. It's just a little tidbit. Um, so we had um somebody on our podcast last week, Terrell Jermaine Star. Some people just call him Jermaine. And he is a journalist that is currently in the Ukraine and he continues to be in the Ukraine. You see him on his Instagram. He's wearing like a bulletproof vest helmet, the whole nonsense press on it. Very, very tumultuous time there in the Ukraine. And obviously he's mm-hmm. trying to be safe. Now, we had a conversation right. with him about the situation, the immediate reaction to the invasion. And he momentarily dipped his toe into some of the social norms, God bless you, into some of the social <laughs> norms uh, that exist there in the Ukraine. What we didn't really talk about because it hadn't become an issue yet was some of the things in the Ukraine that look like mirrors being held up to American society. So over the weekend, there have been numerous accounts from African students who are studying abroad in the Ukraine, the European country, uh, that they have had trouble leaving, that they have not been able to board pl- uh, pl- planes, they have not been able to board trains mm-hmm. to to leave the Ukraine, that they have been it's been Ukraine citizens first, uh, Indian second, Africans third is something that I saw somewhere. Have you seen these things yeah, as well? Yeah, I saw that. I saw that too. Yeah, we talked about this in the group chat, and that. Uh, it seemed like a lot of people were having trouble leaving the country. And the people that a lot of the Africans that we're talking about, Nigerians, we're talking about Ghanaians, we're talking about some people from Northern Africa um, who had been there. A lot of times after they were able to leave the country, they weren't granted asylum in some of the neighboring European countries where they expected to be able to flee to. Okay. Mm-hmm. This comes as we're hearing some really interesting conversations coming out of that region. I want to give you guys three small pieces of audio right now from journalists 
overseas. And the way they're describing the refugee crisis that's happening in the Ukraine, and I want you guys to see if you can hear what's behind the code here. I want you guys to get through the language and see if you can hear the code in here. Donnie, could you run that stuff for us? Now with the Russians marching in, it's changed uh, the calculus entirely. Uh, tens of thousands of people have tried to uh, flee the city. There will be many more. People are hiding out in bomb shelters. But this isn't a place, with all due respect, um, you know, like Iraq or Afghanistan that has seen conflict raging for decades. You know, this is a relatively civilized uh, relatively European, I have to choose those words carefully too, uh, city where you wouldn't expect that or hope that it's going to happen. Me, I'm sorry. It's very emotional for me because I see European people with blue eyes and blonde hair being killed, children being killed every day with Putin's missiles and his helicopters and his rockets. Now the unthinkable has happened to them. And this is not a developing third world nation. This is Europe. One more. You said three, I got one more. Sure. Now, as you're talking to us, Matthew, we're playing in the latest pictures of some of the refugees trying to get on trains or trying to get out of Ukraine. And, and what's compelling is just looking at them, the way they're dressed. These are prosperous, I'm loath to use the expression, these are prosperous middle class people. These are not obviously refugees trying to get away from areas in the Middle East that are still in a big state of war. These are not people trying to get away from areas in North Africa. They look like any European family that you would live next door to. Yikes. Rachel, hmm. what do you think? I mean, who knew that there was an identity, a particular identity affiliated or attached to what a refugee is? And it's Interesting, you look at the definition of refugee and it does not assign a, pers a, a particular type of country, a particular look attached to the word, somebody who's fleeing. And that's what these people are doing. And the fact that they are so downtrodden at the fact that these people have blonde hair and blue eyes or are coming from a European country and that's why they're sad and that's why this is so terrible is really, really telling. And this is something that is being told in the media, not even a conversation, not that it makes it better, but a conversation amongst friends or at a private gathering. This is something that they're putting out there and there's no shame in it. There's no correcting it from the the media on the other side who's who's receiving this who's in, doing this interview no one's saying hey that's actually incorrect or hey that's wrong or hey you shouldn't say that they're allowing these thoughts to to continue that this isn't what a refugee looks like we should feel so sorry for these people because they look a certain way this shouldn't be happening to them because they have blonde hair and blue eyes and they don't come from third world world countries and it's it's not that it's surprising or shocking. It's just more so disturbing and sad that people have no shame in having these type of thoughts and these type of beliefs and aren't afraid to publicly announce that they look at one group of people one way and another group of people a completely different way. <laughs> and it's, it's, I, I, well, that's a different topic that I want to get into later. So I'll just, I'm going to leave that there. So <clears throat> there. to what you just said, it's, it's not that they're not ashamed. They don't know that they're doing it. 
You think so? Yeah. See, I disagree. Yeah. So it, it, they don't know that they're doing it. So when, so there's a detachment that a lot of these people have from their hand in any of this stuff. And I'm not talking about just Russia and the Ukraine. I'm talking about all over the place, right? So like they look at a place like Iraq, Iran, places in Northern Africa, you know, Libya, wherever you want to talk about. They look at refugee crises, crises, crises or crises. Uh, they look at those things and they, and they crises, crises, crises. You know, now you've said it so many different ways. I'm confused. My original thing was crises. Crises? I, now I'm confused. I don't, don't, don't hold me to it. I have no clue. Um, <laughs> they look at these things and they think these things are far away from the world that they live in because they are in terms of like them being tangible. Like they don't see refugees coming into their country a lot of times. They don't see refugees leaving their country a lot of times. Uh but they don't realize that a lot of the geopolitics that lead to refugee crises around the world are directly being influenced uh, and put into motion by the governments that are represented by them. They don't get that they're nothing, that they're involved in all of it. They're just the top looking down. And now when it's the inverse, when they see somebody who looks like them going through that, they feel some sort of conviction to speak on it and they say that's not a refugee I know what a refugee is a refugee is someone who doesn't look like me who is looking for asylum in a place that I don't really go that often right um, and so the reason why they don't know that they're and that's what the sad say that they don't know if they're doing that because the term refugee while it is just a distinction it has a definition to them a brown person looking for safety mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A brown person looking for safety, be it a brown person from El Salvador looking for safety in America, be it a brown person from Mexico looking for safety in America. A third world country, the, yes. Like mm-hmm. a brown person, safety, refugee. Could never happen to someone who just looks like, and by the way, as in everything else in America, excuse me, in the, in the world, it's a greater crime when it happens to white people, right? It's just a greater crime. Sure. Like, and this is my question. And the question that I would be asking a lot of people here, because my heart has been hardened a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. I'm getting crotchety. I think you can tell. I'm getting, Are you? Uh, yeah, I'm getting crotchety. You've been a little crotchety the last week or so. I've been. I'm getting crotchety. I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm hardening, and I'm, I'm trying to not be this way. But let's talk about it. Talk it out. This right here, everything that's happening. What it really makes me want to do is outside of the geopolitics that have to do with whether or not there's going to be a United States of America, what's going to happen in terms of uh, uh, what's going to happen in terms of the prices over here, energy, all of those things that could affect me. What it really makes me want to do is say, fuck it, let those white people fight it out. We ain't got nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. And the reason why, I do, and, it's a, and, and that is very unfair, but I, I'm looking mm-hmm. at this and this is a question I asked in the group chat. Now, we see there's an African, her name is Karine Sky, she's a 26-year-old medical student. She told Insider that African students were told of a Ukrainian's first policy when they struggled to move out of the country. We've seen this all over the place now. There are people, we should say, that are blaming African leaders for their um, unorganized collection of their people in different refugee spots. And the fact that they didn't have any sort of infrastructure to get these people out of the country. It's a different issue uh, entirely. But there are some people who are saying that. My beef is this. My beef is all the black people that I know all over the world, whenever we see something happen, 
we jump to the side of the people that are at the end of the injustice. And every time we do this, we get socked in our fucking asses by the reality that we are the niggas wherever you go. See, the reason why we were down with the Ukrainians is because we thought that they were the niggas. We thought they were being treated like some niggas. And wherever somebody... Well, and we were told that. We, and we, and, and, well, whenever somebody is being treated like some niggas, we go, oh, okay, cool, we jump in. What we have to remember is, I'm sorry, is we are the niggas everywhere. Everywhere. And it is the responsibility of black people here, in my opinion, to be concerned with the diaspora. And they're kicking the people in the ass over there and won't, they won't let them to get to freedom and safety. So... Whereas I understand that what Putin is doing is wrong. While I I get the fact that what's going on there is a crime against humanity, it certainly is. And a lot of people are going to die for no reason. This Mm -hmm. shit really fucked with me. It's hard for me to look at that shit. I get it. I get it. I... This is what I will say. I definitely believe that those people on on television, wherever they are on air, saying differentiating what a refugee looks like, I think they know exactly what they're doing. Which is why they're why they're why they are making the separation. You don't say blonde hair and blue eye and not understand what you're doing. These are people, like I said, having a casual conversation. These are journalists saying this. They're professionals. They know exactly what they're saying. I have a hard time believing they are that ignorant. I just don't think that they care. That's just my take. Now, in regards to, and this is what I said, the the other side of what I want to talk about, about what's happening in the Ukraine and the way they are treating specifically black people. We'll just say that. We know that there are injustices towards, um, I believe they said it was one, the Ukrainians are getting out, two is Middle Eastern, three blacks. And I think that there are also some Latinos I saw that are struggling to get across the border as well. In regards to that, it's I know that there are a lot of people. First of all, when we had Terrell Jermaine Starr on, I did not know that there were injustices being done to Afro-Ukrainians or Africans or Black people in the Ukraine. I didn't know that there was a history of racism. I have since researched that and have seen that from prominent Afro-Ukrainians who a lot of Africans went there in the 1950s, through education, they they either married or had children with other Ukrainians, and there's a whole community there, and they have experienced a lot of racism even to this day. Didn't know all of that. Not saying it didn't isn't it isn't something that didn't exist, just didn't know about it, didn't do the due diligence in researching it. It's hard for me to adopt the mentality of not caring about or or not caring about what's happening, or maybe more so I should say that that's not our fight. Because that's what I've seen people say. This is why you don't jump in. This isn't our fight. I feel like that's generalizing what, what's happening at the border and applying that to all the Ukrainians. There are people who are trying to flee this country. It doesn't mean that every single Ukrainian has adopted a racist mentality where they are prohibiting Africans or Black people from crossing the border. This is obviously something that's done within the government, and this is something that's happening with the soldiers that are implementing this. I'm more so disappointed in we are seeing the Ukrainian president speak out on so many different things. This is obviously at this point a worldwide issue. It's everywhere. Everybody has picked this up, not just in the United States. Why have you not spoken out about it? 
Why are we not hearing anything from the Ukrainian government about we're going to rectify this? We've heard from the Polish government. The Polish has said, that is not us. We are allowing anybody to come into our country. That's the Ukrainian soldiers who are preventing people from hopping on trains or from, from entering into the country at the border. I'm more so disappointed in that, but I don't want to sit there and say, at the end of the day, I feel like being having empathy towards what's happening to the Ukrainians in the country because of the Russian invasion, I still feel that. There are people who are losing their lives, their well-being, everything they've known, they're being displaced, and, they're, and they're, there's a lot of sadness and confusion and loss there. I can't separate myself from that because there's racism at the border. I guess that's, that's where I'm coming from at this point. But I am disappointed in the Ukrainian government that they have not said one thing. To, my, to the best of my knowledge, I have not seen anything yet from them. So you are unequivocally right. It's not even, it doesn't begin to, you are without a doubt right. This is my situation. Number I one. It. I get it. So, all right, we should say that Nigeria has condemned the treatment of Africans there. Um, the president of Nigeria, uh, there's about 4,000 Africans there, said all who flee a conflict situation have the same right to safe passage under the UN Convention. You guys, there is international law and precedent precedent in place to how to handle a situation like this this is not in in any way this is not in any way something that has to do with politeness this is something that has to do with the way things should go according to international law all right just as putin violates mm-hmm. international law in invading ukraine there are standards to be met to facilitate refugees leaving your country and to accepting refugees into another country. Just let you know that. This is in the color, he said, and the color of their passport or their skin should make no difference. Should make no difference. Okay. This Mm -hmm. is my deal. This is my deal. This is what I'm talking about. You're right. Empathy. Empathy is very important. Empathy is, hey, what's going on is wrong. Empathizing with the people. What I've seen, though, and what I'm wondering, I'm wondering always about what's best for black people. What's best Mm -hmm. for black people politically, emotionally, economically? What's best for black people? And there's something that happens when, and it's also up to us to be more, if we're going to get involved in these situations, if we're going to get involved in these situations with political thought and with support, even one tweet or whatever, it's up to us to be a little bit more informed and not goes for the people True. that goes for us here at higher learning as well before we dive True. into something to get kicked in our ass about it right so it's up to us to be mm-hmm. more informed about the sort of uh i can't find a word right now the how things go in other places it's, just, it's up to us to be uh more informed about that but i feel like there is this residual pain that gets involved when mm-hmm. we go out on a limb we get involved mm-hmm. in something, and once again, we get treated that way. I mm-hmm. feel like over time, that actually ends up being worse because the mis- misinformation and the disinformation and all of those things that go into that weaponize a side and a part that to me is insidious. There are people out mm-hmm. there that don't want black people to pay attention to world events, that don't want black people to get involved in world event- events because it keeps us more docile and it doesn't make us feel like we have any stake in this world. What I'm saying is 
I look at what we need to be doing for the diaspora. And I feel like it is really necessary that we be involved and knowledgeable on things in the world, but that we prioritize our first question, in my opinion, my first question should have been what happens to the black people in the Ukraine? That's I what I, that's what I should have said. I should have been like, it, "What ha- what's happening in Ukraine is terrible." But it didn't dawn on me to be like, "Okay, there are black people in the Ukraine. What is going to happen to the black people in Ukraine?" And we had a whole black person in the Ukraine on this podcast. I didn't ask him, and he didn't say anything about it. And to mm-hmm. me, that is a failure from Van Lathan to the, to the worldwide diaspora because now I'm mad at the Ukraine and it's unfair to be mad at them because they're being attacked by a foreign power right now. But I see black people, every time that they're, they're there and they can't leave, they're at risk of being killed. And it's not even their yeah. fight because they're not even from there. Right, right. You are 100% right in what you're saying. And it's, a, and it's not just your failure. It's a failure on my part as well. But I think the reason that your first thought wasn't how were the black people being treated in the Ukraine? Because your first, your first thought was these people are at war. These people were invaded for all the wrong reasons. And your thought is these people are just trying to escape. So in your mind, it's like these people are at war. That's their first thought is to save their lives. You're not thinking, oh, they're going to treat black people the same way that they're being treated by the Russians. You're not thinking, how in the world are they still going to find time to be racist in the middle of a war? Which that, and, and I don't think you're wrong for thinking, not thinking racism first, thinking about the humanity of these people. But humanity is showing us time and time again the, sh- the strength and the power of racism. That even when you're down and out, you still think that people who are a darker skin are the scum of the earth. It shows how deeply rooted the hatred for the color of our skin is worldwide. And, it, and, and I think the other thing that it makes me think, too, is how can you ask the U.N., the West, African countries to stand with you when you aren't even standing for everybody that's a part of, that's trying to get out of that country? That's my thought. How are you going to ask us to help you and be there for you when you are pushing mothers and children to the side, leaving them out in the cold, waiting for hours to escape this country when, you know, you're not even looking at us as human beings at this point. So don't ask us for help when you can't even treat us like human beings. Yeah. That, that So I get you. That's, yeah. that's my struggle. So as a general update oh. on what's going on, uh, mm-hmm. there were talks held Earlier today, between uh, Russia and the Ukraine and Belarus, um, we're at the border. Belarus talks lasted for about five hours. They decided that they would come back a couple of days from now and have more talks. Five hours talks, some sort, some negotiations. The Russian invasion of uh, the Ukraine not going so well. Um, Ukrainians put up a damn good fight against the Russian forces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throw them for a loop. Oh yeah. Uh, over the weekend. Um, over the weekend, uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, rattled his saber a little bit by putting his, his military forces 
uh, upgrading their level of readiness. And that includes some nuclear forces, which is scaring some people. I just want to say one thing before we get out of here. It makes no sense for you to be fearful of a nuclear war. And I'll tell you why. There are two reasons you shouldn't be fearful of a nuclear war. Number one, it's remotely, it is ridiculously unlikely that a nuclear war will happen from this. It could happen. There are all kinds of little Mm -hmm. incidents that could set it off. But Putin knows that everyone he loves and everything that he wants, everything that he, in his mind turns to ash in the event that that happens too. All right. So number one, mutually assured destruction has been the best deterrent to nuclear war for decades. And it's going to remain the best deterrent because everybody dies in that case. Number two, there's absolutely nothing you can do to stop it. So that's the second thing. So I've seen a lot of people getting upset about that. I get it. It's a scary thing. It's, most likely not going to happen. And then number two, there's nothing you can do to stop it. Like absolutely mm-hmm. nothing you can do. All right. It's um, terrifying. So <laughs> can I say, can I, I gotta bring, I gotta tell you this. I gotta, you got? I don't know if you saw this, what but we it? mentioned Terrell Jermaine star. He is a black man been living in the Ukraine. A lot of people have been wondering Terrell, what is your take on what's going on? At the border, you know, where are you? We haven't heard you report about it. Well, Terrell has put out a tweet, and I'm not sure if you saw this, and I would love to know what your take is on this. Oh, I have not seen this. I would definitely like to see this. So Terrell said, I don't know anything about the border crisis with refugees. I am a one-man show. Impossible for me to cover every subject. Please stop asking me about it. Thanks. Your thoughts? the answer is so insufficient that it's bordering on disrespectful there is absolutely no way Mm. absolutely zero way that that response is in any way suitable. I am beyond disappointed. Yo, man, every time they take niggas and they give niggas these spots and they put them in these fucking positions, they always get to a point where they wash their hands like Pontius Pilate on some shit. And that's not the fuck while you're there. It's If, if that's the case, then what's the point? I don't want to go in on this nigga. Because we just had him on a podcast and we just spoke to him and he seems like an all right guy. I don't fucking see how in any world that response is sufficient or apropos. I don't see how you can say that when it's black people at the border. My my G. Respectfully, if it's not your expertise, you need to make it your expertise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like if it's not what you do, you need to make it what you do. The reason why he was on this podcast in the first fucking place is because he was black. Let's keep it all the way funky. There are Absolutely. myriad people we could have spoken to about that issue. The reason why he was on there is because this is a podcast where black ideas, black thought, and black experiences are at the forefront, and we put him on here because he's having one of those in Ukraine. You do not get to punt 
on your blackness for political reasons. I don't trust them anymore. I don't want to say too much because I want to give them space to come back on this podcast and explain that. But that right there, we can't live with that, Rachel. No, I have been looking. I have ever since we've had him on the show, I've been constantly paying attention to what he's doing to make sure he's okay, to to stay in touch with what's happening on the grounds in Ukraine. But when he came on this podcast, he talked about representing himself as a black man in the Ukraine. Well, if you're about that and you see that black people are struggling and are suffering It's one thing if you say, I can't get there. I'm reaching out to people. I'm trying to understand what's going on so I can provide resources, which I could have sworn I saw a tweet about that. But for you to shut it down and tell people to stop asking you, you're not involved with it. You don't want to know about it. Then what are you doing there? That's my, I'm confused. You're supposed to be there representing for the people. That's how you came on this podcast. So I'm confused as to how you can be one thing on this podcast, but then tell us to stop asking you questions because it's impossible for you to be everywhere at the same time. Black people are in that country suffering. You have a voice, you have a platform. There are things that you can do. I just saw you put up your cash app for support and help. I'm not against that, but you also got to be down with helping us. You are one of a kind there because you have so much. You have the attention of the entire world because of the platform he's created. And you're telling people not to ask you about what's happening to our people at the border. That doesn't make any sense to me. I was appalled when I saw that. And that's why I wanted to bring that to the podcast. I missed it. You know, I had reached out to him and asked him to help me contextualize what was going on. He didn't respond. Yo, all right, man. That was the big deal of the day. We're going to come back after this break. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, Legal Eagle time. Legal Eagle. We still don't have my Legal Eagle mind. We still don't have our Legal Eagle. No, it's no. You had it right the first time. No, it's no, yours. It's ours. It's ours. We, are the le- we love Legal Eagles. We still don't have the Legal Eagle. Honk, honk. I want that kind of, I want that. I want that sound. No, we do. I put it in and post. It's always in every podcast. It's in there. Oh, really? I never hear it. Yeah. Get them right, Donnie. Oh, excuse me, Donnie. DB. <laughs> DB. Donnie Brasco. How many times did you get Donnie Brasco? Uh, that, that kind of slowed down in recent years. I got that in middle school a bunch, but yeah. You got Donnie Brasco? <laughs> did you ever get Donnie Wahlberg? No, never Donnie Wahlberg. Donnie Darko, I got a few times. Donnie mm. Darko. Yeah. Donnie. Donnie Darko. You ever get Donnie Trump? <laughs> Donnie. You got, y'all got the same name. You got the same name as Trump. Fuck you, man. All I got to do, <laughs> do is take out the Beecham and put in the Trump, and you're all Donald right. Trump. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, The Senate has begun work on confirming Kajani Brown Jackson 
Kintaji. Uh, Kintaji. The Senate has been work has begun. The what Senate has begun work on <laughs> confirming Kintaji Brown Jackson uh, to the Supreme Court. President Joe Biden's Supreme Court pick Kintaji Brown Jackson (KBJ) has been preparing for a high stakes confirmation battle to become the first black woman on the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, she is uh, a judge on the influential U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. So the judge, Lindsay, did not get his Supreme Court appointee. <laughs> I was hoping that it would happen. Sad. He didn't get Sad it at the day. end. <laughs> um, the process is going to, of course, move to the Senate now to where these things have become increasingly circus-like in recent years with a crescendo during the Brett Kavanaugh hearing, which was literally like a soap opera and that movie, The Contender, rightfully so. <laughs> uh, rightfully so, by the way. Okay, uh, Rachel, your thoughts? Well, I went to a Senate confirmation hearing. Really? Being that of my dad's. It was not drama-filled. Uh -huh. They unanimously confirmed him uh -huh. and we just kept it going judge has a sparkling clean record yeah uh but in the case of um katanji 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 right uh -huh. donnie katanji okay but in the case of oh my gosh in the case of katanji brown jackson sadly it's going to be a battleground not because she's not qualified uh -huh. that's the thing that's the most disheartening about it all she's clearly qualified to step into this role as being the first black woman on the supreme court the you mentioned that she was that she is currently on the court of appeals u.s court of appeals dc circuit yeah. whose spot does she take when she stepped in merrick garland oh wow none other than the attorney general um someone else who should have had a seat on the supreme court but that's whose seat she filled, showing that she is extremely qualified. Prior to that, she was a district court judge. Um, she has worked as a public federal defender. She has went to Harvard undergraduate, Harvard Law School. This woman has dedicated her life to the law, um, to learning about the justice system. She worked on a commission that was a part of federal gu uh, sentencing guidelines. And she is more than qualified. She's young, too. She's going to bring an amazing perspective. You know, some of people, people are pointing out that because she was newly appointed to uh, the U.S. Court of Appeals this summer, replacing Merrick Garland, she hasn't written an opinion as an appellate judge yet, but she's written over 500 opinions as a district judge. And, you know, a lot of people like to pay attention to that because they like to determine, you know, how liberal or conservative the person is. She's liberal. Um, she's definitely with her background once she's younger with her background as obviously a black woman, a public defender and her history of labor friendly rulings. She's going to be an amazing, amazing addition to the Supreme Court, more than qualified. And I'm sick of hearing the other side talking, talking about, oh, she was nominated on the grounds of identity. Ronald Reagan picked Sandra Day O'Connor because he was he wanted a woman. Donald Trump picked Amy Coney Barrett because he was trying to replace uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat. So it's been done before. Miss me with all of that other stuff. She is more than qualified and I'm so excited to see her take her seat. She is going to pass Senate confirmations. She just has to. 
She has to. I love the identity conversation because obviously a judge is picked on identity. And most of the times it's political identity, right? So yes. It, <laughs> the question is always who appointed you. Like it's like it's people like, always want to know. I that. want it's, it's not like they go out. It's not like they go out and they go. I want the best judge. They go. I want the judge <laughs> to advance my particular uh, agenda, or not my particular agenda, because maybe it's not going to happen right away. But my particular realm of political thought, you know. And so identity is always a determining factor. Number one, we're dealing with someone who is uniquely qualified, of course. I like Lindsey Graham's tweet. Lindsey Graham says that uh, that uh, the tax, that this is all because of the radical left. The radical left <laughs> has run over President Biden. Both Manchin and Cinemas both said that they are... Um, Manchin? What did he say? Manchin, what did said, Manchin, Manchin say? said he looks forward to meeting with Judge Jackson before determining whether or not to provide his consent. All right, he said he will evaluate Judge Jackson's record, legal qualifications, and judicial philosophy to serve on the highest court in the land. Cinema basically said the same thing. Okay, now I will read, I will uh, up and down the line. It seems, it seems that this confirmation might be less contentious than past confirmations. It seems. Than Amy Coney Barrett? It seems that this could potentially be less contentious than past confirmations. Obviously, the Senate numbers are are, are different, um, which is a huge, huge thing, but it seems like this could be less contentious. I will now revisit my take. Uh, okay. The take that I said when I said that this was something that was awesome, but it didn't really move me as much. Oh. Yes. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> there should be like a boomerang take. It should be like <laughs> boomerang take. Okay. <laughs> Let me go into this a little bit further and a little bit deeper okay. and say that Come I've on. listened to a lot of people who had opinions on this and I've heard a lot of people and I can understand how being dismissive of this is actually a bigger problem than having the take on it. I get that. Mm. I want you to understand what my heart is saying here. To be dismissive of something this particularly historical uh, is putrid. I get it. And if I came off as dismissive, my bad. I saw I, I saw it, as I used to say when I was a kid. I saw it. <laughs> and he's like, man, you just ate all the brownies. I saw it, daddy. You know what I mean? Um, now, this is my point. And this is where I'm coming from. I desperately believe, desperately believe that black people are in the eighth inning of their American existence. Explain. So the eighth. Like, how many strikes? Oh, we're just like, getting are the, the bases we're just, loaded? We're just getting we, the back. Like, we're just getting the back. We're just getting the back okay. in the eighth inning. So okay, let me tell you okay. what. Now, a lot of people will look at it and say, we're actually more like in the fifth or the sixth inning, right? So last okay, one time. Okay. I, I think America is in extra innings, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, 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 Time's up. So I think America saying. is in extra innings, okay? <laughs> uh, but I think we're in the eighth inning, meaning I think we are at that point to where it's like, hey, we're down 6-4. We need some runs. Like, we need some runs. We need to get some people. We need some runs now. 
can't fuck around anymore. Every batter is super important. Like, we need some runs. Because when you get to the ninth innings, now you're just hoping that somebody puts the bat on the ball, puts it over the fence, and you got a home run. Now your chances are really low. We're in the eighth. We need some runs. Okay? Okay? And so everything I look at, when I look at, like, things that happen for black people, I go, did we score a run? Mm. Like, did we score a run? Like, did living life as being a black person in America get easier because of this? Did are 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 there any things that have happened that are that are consequential to our existence in America because this has happened? And that is a very, very dumb, very binary, very simplified way of looking at progress. It's not the ideal way. But like it's come to this point to where I'm going, okay, what does that mean for us? This means a lot in terms of her ability to be uh, there in the Supreme Court for a long, long time. It means that going forward, that's one less worry that we'll have to worry about on the court uh, in terms of what may or may not happen. It means a lot of things. It also means a lot of things symbolically. I get all of those Uh things. But my initial point was that it shouldn't be something that the Biden administration can use as a feather in their cap because- We need things that for them to deliver on right now because life is happening now. Mm-hmm. Life is happening right now. And so initially I'm like, that's going to be good. And Joe Biden's going to be able to go before black people in August or in September or next year and say, hey, I delivered this. And we're not going to have any answers on voting. We're not going to have any answers on uh, policing. We're not going to have any economic answers. Um, and he's going to be able to have done something unilaterally, which is obviously different. He can just appoint her and then they can vote on it and get it. It's different than sort of some of these bills that we're talking about. I understand that. But I just need us to make sure that we keep our eyes on the ball in terms of what it is that sure. we need like right away. That was the only thing that I was saying. I did not mean in any way to diminish, even though I did. It was not my intention to diminish what this means and how important this is for the sisters and how important this is for everyone. I just mm-hmm. need these motherfuckers to get on their shit and get some shit done. Sure, sure. And I think we agree with you with that. You don't get to stop and say, like, your legacy cannot be that you appointed a black woman to the Supreme Court. That's not going to be enough. But we appreciate that you are doing it. We appreciate the representation, what this means. There will be young girls who will look and say, I can because of what they saw with Katanji Brown Jackson. Like that, that, there's just no doubt about that. It means so much. She's 51 years old. She could be holding this seat for decades and decades. This is a big deal. And and now for the first time ever, you're going to have the representation and the voice of a black woman who can speak to that experience. It means so much. I guarantee you Clarence Thomas is shook. Well, is it, oh, you ain't the only one anymore. What? Clarence Thomas, he's, he's upset. He's oh, furious. He's about to be furious. He's about if to he be, could vote against her, he would. He's about to be held accountable. You know what I mean? He hasn't been exactly. held accountable yet. You know what I'm saying? They're gonna be at the Supreme Court dances and all of that stuff like that. He's gonna be in there with his wife. She's gonna be looking at him. Uh-huh. Would bring her next uh... would bring her stringy haired ass and I'm just joking. She's a <laughs> she doesn't care about those things. She's a very serious judge. Okay. Uh but it is definitely a happy day in Black America that this is out yes. there. It'll be a happier day when she gets sworn in. All right, let's yes. take a break. We're going to go to Stilo Brim of Ridiculousness. We're going to talk to him right now. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. 
We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. We have... A very special guest joining us today on Higher Learning. You guys know him because if you've ever watched MTV in your life, this is the only face that you see. There are now only three people on MTV. MTV used to have mad motherfuckers on it. It did. Rach. Oh, Rach was on MTV. Okay. I was going to bring this up. I was going to bring this up. Rach. Mine didn't last this many seasons. Rach was on MTV. It's one of my questions. MTV used to have Kurt Loder. And fucking, uh, what was the other lady's name? Uh, Serena Altschul and all kinds of people, right? Now they got three motherfuckers. Rob, <laughs> Chanel, and Stilo. Ridiculousness <laughs> on MTV all day long. All day long. We have today joining us my friend, my homeboy, one of the most multi-talented people in this entire town. Stilo Brim is joining us on Higher Learning Today. How you doing, brother? I, thank you guys for having me. Like, I feel like it's supposed to be like a long time ago we should have did this. And like, you never yeah. invited me. So I was feeling some kind of way. So I'm happy to pick you here finally. Like, he'll come to my house. He'll eat all my food. Sounds about right. He never once asked me to come on his podcast. Though. I was like, man, that's crazy. Oh, I, I missed something. Well, you know what? We are so happy to have you. Huh? I'm happy we to are. Here. I missed something, though. He's also, to me, the one thing that, that Sterling's got two things going on right now that are really, really taking off, of course, is the Wine and Weed podcast with my man, Chris. How you say Chris's last name? Reinecker? How you say it? Reinecker, Reinecker, yeah. Reinecker, Chris Reinecker. Uh, Reinecker. I, like that. I like that. And then also, we're going to talk about your rapping a little bit later, too. We are. We are. We're going to talk about your rapping. <laughs> um, but the first thing I want to ask you, bro, is like, do you get tired of seeing yourself on MTV? Is the fact that ridiculousness is on all day long on MTV every day? Do you look at that as, yo, man, I'm super proud of that? Or do you like, I wish these motherfuckers would find something else to put on this network because this must mean that they're struggling? Um, nah, I mean, I'm super proud of it. I mean, we, when you go into television in general, you, you can only wish to get season two or season three. So for us to be on season. <laughs> We're filming season 27 right now. I got to be proud of it in a way. Of course, I watch. I see I see the, the, the whole thing, and I'm like, 
Okay, I don't know why we're showing so much of the show. Uh, and I'm on the show. I think she definitely slowed down a little bit, but uh, I'm proud of it, you know? Oh, Stilos, I, I know you didn't mean that to hurt me, but I, I too had a show on MTV called MTV Ghosted. Mm, uh, the, yeah. Only got only got two seasons, should have had more. That's neither here nor there. If you could put in a word for me with the MTV folks, that'd be great. We'd love to, to bring me. it back. I got you. But, but, but what do you think, as a person who's had a show that was on and now off, and we've seen these shows come and go, but ridiculousness has stood the test of time, still going, and there have been spinoffs of the show. What is the secret to the show? What is it that keeps it going on from season to season and, you know, doesn't get old, honestly? To answer as PC as possible, America. The video. Oh, we don't want that. <laughs> no, uh, no, no. Uh, I think what keeps it going is also, um, if we're talking business, profitability. You know, it, it's low cost to shoot the show. So it just makes a lot of sense for a network to to really dive into that show because it's bread and butter. It's, it's just an easy show to shoot. It's really low cost. Uh, and it's, it's, it's evergreen. You can show it forever. You can watch it in the studio with no sound. You can watch it anywhere. So I think it's just the evergreenness to the actual show. And I guess our camaraderie as well. You know, we've built it over some time now. I think that, uh, I don't know if it's as easily duplicated. So I think that uh, we do a pretty good job on the show as well. So you got the Wine and Weed podcast, which I've been on yeah. twice. One time I was on Wine and Weed, the three of us was just chilling, doing our thing. But then the other time yeah. I was on Wine and Weed. <laughs> The other time I was on Wine and Weed, mm -hmm. uh, kind of went viral, and it wasn't that I good. Only viral clip ever. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> I feel as though one hundred percent is our only viral clip of all time. We need a ventilation yeah. for that. So, but we had actually nothing to do with that, to be honest. Okay, we had nothing to do with that. Okay, so I want to ask you a question in regards to that. We're not going to go back and relitigate what was said because people, people know and um, we don't want to get nobody in trouble again. I will say this. After that, we came back here and we talked about that situation. And Rachel has some choice words for Drea. Okay. okay. I'm not going to speak for Rachel. Rachel, do you want to tell Stilo what you call Drea? A bird. <laughs> Okay, I hear you. I, I, I mean, but it was. Where's my friend? Listen, Where's was, my friend? It was, but in that Mine moment, too? it was an it was an ignorant ass comment. I don't know where it was coming from. I don't know it. It's like she's better than that. So I just don't understand why she felt like she needed to go there in that moment. She tried to be funny. It wasn't funny. Yeah, I think uh, that's what it is. And you know, right she's there. she's apologized. She's apologized for. It. She tried. She failed. She came out. She did the right thing. She took accountability for. It. She apologized. I don't need to go back there, but yeah, I did. I called a bird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, man, not the sound. Sound effects was me. We this already heard the bird. Else. What? This nigga is something else. Did you hear that sound? Hell, bro, hit me with the birdman hands real quick. Real quick. Um, my, my question is this, Sterling. You, you, Dre's your friend. Like, you I feel yeah. she's a little misunderstood sometimes. Don't you think that it's only fair that we bring Dre on higher learning and maybe we talk about everything that's going on? Do you feel like that clip and everything that went around about that clip, it was on the podcast, you were there, I were there. Do you feel like it was completely in context? What were your thoughts? <laughs> You're hilarious. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't, 
I don't, I don't think, I definitely don't think it was in context. I think that like sometimes in, in media, when you interview, when you work in this, this day, and uh, I won't say the power of editing because we, we leave our stuff um, pretty unedited. Um, but, you, you know, you, you, she, I think Dre in that moment was making a joke. And, uh, you know, you can look at society and say songs that say, oh, I want a roughneck and I want this and I want that. I think she was trying to make a joke along those side, along those lines. And it just didn't hit. And it probably wasn't the time. And, and she's learned from mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, I Good just job, thought about Sarah. something, too. You just said <laughs> it. Job, you do have editing power. Good job. You do have editing power. <laughs> Did you ever think at some point that you should remove that as her friend? From the podcast, did you think about y'all are hilarious? Uh, I'm just, I, it just, it just came to me, Stilo. It just came to me. Did you ever think maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't just, you know, put that out there like that? Yeah, I always leave my friends at room, and whoever comes on the show. I, I, number one, we do a show called Wine and Weed, so I, I already give people that that leniency because we're intoxicated. We're smoking weed and we're drinking wine. So, you know, I already know you're at a disadvantage. I gotta so, come on. Uh, with it's that, so good. Uh, this show's great. This yeah, is one so of the best podcasts. I, I'll be honest with you guys. It was one of the best podcasts. The guest list is fucking ridiculous. Like, the people <laughs> that they've had on there is nuts. It's just one of the best podcasts out there. But go ahead, my brother. I didn't mean to cut you off. I appreciate it. Uh, um, no, but I, I always try to leave that room. So, you know, we reached out and we wanted to know if she wanted to take it down. I think she just, in that moment, was like, I made this mistake. I'm going to live with this mistake. I'm a big mm-hmm. dog. G, and I respect her for it. Nothing else. Yeah. So you've, yeah. Been, you've been doing your thing in this industry since you was in Hardball. Why you why you be bringing up Harbaugh? Like I really because Harbaugh, bruh. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey. I love it when you call me Big Papa. I love it when you call me Big. There's a, so there's a couple of things about Harbaugh that piss me off. One is that Keanu Reeves okay. act like he, Keanu Reeves act like he had never heard Big Papa before. He was like, "What is that?" He's like, yeah. It, it was come on, bro. Like you had never heard any Notorious B.I.G. Like, I don't like know Reeves or his character, but okay. or his character, whatever. <laughs> but I got you. Um, so you were in Hardball. So, I, I, and then that is the point that you start your career in entertainment. And my man, it's been twenty some years. How the fuck do you stay relevant and keep growing and keep doing new stuff? For 24 years. I know niggas that was hot five years ago that, uh, you know, we both know them that can't get it popping. Like, how do you stay around and stay relevant and stay with the big ass house? I don't want Hardball <laughs> to be my first credit. Right That's here. your first credit. That's no, your first I'm, credit. I didn't, I wasn't what is uh, it? on Hardball as an actual actor or anything. I wasn't trying to dive into the industry. I simply played baseball in Chicago. I was pretty good at it. So they reached out to my school and my principal was like, yo, we know he's really good at baseball. He should come and be in this movie. And then the rest was history. So that's how I got into, I guess, um, the TV and film industry. But I wasn't, I definitely wasn't something I was going after. Even when I moved here to LA, that wasn't anything I was going after. Uh, I was out here doing music and I was out here working at A&R and management. And from there, you know, I just always try to reinvent myself. For me, I'm a person that don't really like rules. So right. I always look at things in different structures and say, well, who made that rule? And why And why is that rule in place? Is that a real thing? Is something to prevent us from doing this? So I just be trying to dream and create for people who who, who want to just keep creating and, and don't want to really live in a box. And that's like well, that, a cliche or, or as 
whatever as you can answer it, but that's actually how I really feel. Nah, I mean, you know what's... Uh, uh, go, uh, go ahead, Rachel. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish, nah, go finish your thought. The reason why I was going to say that is that's true because every time you go over to his crib, he got a new idea. Like he got something new to <laughs> show. also ADHD. There's a lot of other things going on with me right. that I can't really control, but yeah. Word. So I like what you said. You've been you've been tied to the mu- music industry for a while. And, and I thought this was really interesting because you said after quarantine, it forced you to slow down and to look at yourself. And your therapist challenged you to pick up and complete something that you've always wanted to do, which is your own music, which I find so interesting. So can you talk a little bit about that journey? What led you to this debut single album? And um, it's an album, too, right? Not just a single, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's a, a single. little project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to call it's it. It's a album, project, so there's more coming. So there's more coming. Yeah, for sure. It's a collective of of, of records or or what I've been calling sessions uh, to tie into um, me even sleep with my therapist. Um, called the record sessions, but yeah, it's, it's more sessions to come. I think all together be twelve on the full project. Yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit about how you, you know, channeled that that energy because you know some people in quarantine didn't feel motivated to do anything you know, struggled in a lot of ways. For you, you channeled that into some creativity to do something you've never done before. Talk a little bit about that. Um, I think, you know, the pandemic was a, was a make or break time for a lot of us. I think it was a time where you got to, if nothing else, uh, sit with your own thoughts. As I, as I, you know, even bring up different things within this country, it's not that it, it hasn't been going on for many years, it's that we got time to actually sit and, 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 and not, if nothing else, look at our phones and see news and see this. So I had nothing but time to sit with myself and um, my therapist just challenged me. Like I joke about, oh, that's ADHD, it's not in control. But, you know, in being a creative and, and my mind always moving very fast and things I want to do, there are sometimes struggles in, in completing things and feeling like, oh, did you really, you know, fulfill that or did you really see that thing all the way through? So um, my therapist challenged me to do something I always wanted to do. Uh, music uh, on, on this side of it wasn't necessarily it, but I always, I rapped in high school for fun. It was cool. And from there, I just always have had thoughts and ideas and concepts. And I was like, you know what? I should just do something for fun. If nothing else, if nobody listens to it, if it's not good, I can just leave it right here in my house. Who cares? And my little cousin was here interning uh, with me. He does music. And I had actually bought him a new mic and a little setup, a little rig. And I was really buying it for myself, but he didn't know at the time. So I bought it for him <laughs> so he could do a little more music. And I was started doing little records here and there. And from there, that's kind of how the, the project uh, started. From there, it's been, it's been a lot of, it's been a lot of hard work. It's been a lot of, like, you know, it's, I joked, I joked and said I was going to name this project. Did nobody ask for this? Did nobody ask for this? Did nobody ask me to do this shit? This is something I, I wanted to do for myself. You know what I'm saying? And just to be like, yo, you, you doing this for you and you're doing it for the right reasons. So, with me going into it, you know, I, I really wanted to um, just channel who I was. You know what I'm saying? I feel like it ain't, it ain't always a lot of what I deem, you know, a lot of cool, you know, old school, cool feeling dudes in, in, in the industry. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm a 33-year-old man, and I, I joke in the first record is called Uncle Elroy, but I really am somebody uncle, and I really, you know what I'm saying? And I'm really stern, and I'm really all those things. And I, and I also just wanted to kind of break that mode of what we can create and what we sh- should create. You know what I'm saying? If I was going to do this, for me, it was like, if anybody asks for this, I'm going to create what I believe, you know, I want to hear. Word, word, mm-hmm. word. Well said. So, <clears throat> let's switch to basketball now. Uh-oh. Let's talk about basketball. Yeah. All right. 
just ask you a straight question right now. You know, we play, we've played ball. Yeah. Um, you you take really to be honest with you guys, the most thing he takes most serious in life, if you ask me, is hoop. <laughs> like, he just like we'll be sitting around and somebody will be like, like me and him all went to dinner with an NBA player. <clears throat> an NBA player. The guy was with us. We were at dinner. An NBA player was there. Good NBA player, too. Yeah, and good. he like, Sterling was like, nah, you know, wasn't taking no shit off of him. He was like, letting him know, like, nah, I don't fuck around. Like, I'm a really good basketball player. Like, I'm not, I don't, the rest of these little celebrity dudes out here that you're talking about, like, I'm a really good basketball player. So I want, to, I want you to do something. Of the celebrity guys in the city that you've played with, okay, I want you to give me a top five. All the ones I've played with. Ooh. So the ones you've played with. Celebrity basketball players. Give me a top celebrity. five. Celebrity. That that word, first of all. Uh <laughs> but no, let me think of some people. I mean, I think uh well no is Chris Brown's a really good basketball player. Right. Chris Brown's a really good basketball player. Um ooh. Who's really oh, I'm trying to think. Because I because I'm gonna tell you, just to let you know, this is from the red pill days. I had Jaleel White. On the red pill back in the day. Okay. Urkel. Yeah. And shout out to Jaleel. We all oh love my him. God, I love Jaleel. J- he t- Jaleel's my man. I asked Jaleel about, you know, because we had played in that downtown league. And I asked Jaleel. And Jaleel said at that time that, I'll be honest with you, Jaleel White said, you're not fucking with him in basketball. Okay. That's fair. It, people say, is, is Jaleel good? People say stuff. Huh? Is Jaleel on your list? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not close. Not close. Love him, dearly. Okay. I've seen Jaleel play. Jaleel, Jaleel, like I got homies that like I play. You know, in this celebrity thing, you put people in certain boxes, and you 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 say yourself like, oh, if I'm texting some of the homies to come hoop, you might text certain celebrities when you know it's gonna be just an okay run. You know, it's not that competitive because they don't want to really play with the dudes who play D1 or in the NBA. And it's not it's not fun for them. Now, I understand that. I put Jaleel in that text message group when I, you know, when I want to get the guys out and just the boys want to just talk and hang out and get some shots up. You know, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. But I'm out here really believing that I can um, compete on a high level. And, and some would say it's delusion. Um, but I, I what really- level what level do you think you could compete at? Mm-hmm. How yeah. how how much time do I have to train? Is the first question. You have you have as much time to train as you oh, go. Wow, Rachel, you have a month. You got a month to train. Oh, a month. Okay, see a month. If I, you got it, you got it. Okay, I don't like that. It's too. Uh, <laughs> 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 I don't like what you're doing, Rachel. Uh, <laughs> um, I will say, if I got a month to truly train, get at it. I'm talking two days. I'm guessing. Cause I'm really locked in at this point. Uh, I can go ahead and compete at the, at the D1 level again. You know what I'm saying? I can go ahead and compete there. I can't, I can compete in big three. Give me a month. I can compete in big three. Give you a month. You can play with the guys in the big three. Cause you know, nitty in the big I'm three. Saying, I'm not saying all of them. I'm not saying I'm going to start and they going to go to me as the MVP of the league. I'm saying, <laughs> but you can I'm going to compete okay. for sure. Okay. And I'm going to put in some buckets. If nothing else, I'm a bucket. Right. And, you know, I play with that, 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 I try to apply the same delusion into life and, and me believe that I can do like a lot of different things. Cause me, it's like VIP, VIP is 90% mental. You walk up to that door, you let them know, you know what I'm saying? You feel this aura, this energy, get me out the way. 
They move out the way, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> on that court, I really believe there's nobody that can stick me. Are there? They may be, but I believe there is nobody that can. What's your position? Um, I'm whatever the coach needs, but I'm 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 a point guard. Um, <laughs> I love it. I'm a point guard, yeah. He's a combo guard that I'm likes a to score. Guard. I'm a, I'm a, yeah, he's a he's a. a, a he likes to shoot. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he's a he's a combo guard that likes to score. Like he he can he can um, pass it though. So we we didn't complete the list, okay? But we know Chris Brown is on it. We know Jaleel White is not. Yes. Where is Van? Van is a, now finally allowed me on his podcast, so he is now cracked the top six. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. It's just no. Van can play basketball. Van can definitely play. Van knows his game too. I, I put value in people who know their game. Like if okay. you like somebody that would get out there and you understand what you're good at versus somebody who's just like doing too much and you like, fam, pick a side, do something. <laughs> Fox out, do something. Van can play. I'll say, okay, I'm gonna say Chris Brown. I'm gonna say Trinidad James is is decent at basketball. I don't oh. have many people though that I really be feeling like, <laughs> oh, they can really go. Van what about Quavo? People five. love to to. What about Quavo? People love to throw him in oh, there. Quavo's not bad. I've I've Quavo before. Okay. Quavo can play. Yeah, I put him on that list. I'm trying to think. Is there anybody? You know, Mike. Who, yeah, but, but Mike don't play enough. Mike don't be wanting to play. And Mike, yeah. used, to play. Mike used to be able to definitely play. But Mike, but he, but he too. But I, I feel like since he didn't got so big for Creed and stuff like that, that that might be affecting his game. That nigga huge. Aaron Donald, in here. <laughs> <laughs> moving. That nigga big, bro, bro. Hey, be honest with you, man. Uh, your boy, my boy, Calais, he got Mike, Mike big now, bro. Mike a lot bigger than he used to be, bro. Mike big now, bro. Yeah. I, mean, I got one Mike, more question for Mike you. Mike Big, yeah, Mike, Mike Smith. <laughs> I don't know what well, about it. <laughs> one last question for you, bro. Um, yeah. You got a first look at MTV Entertainment Studios. That's amazing, man. Yes. Frank goes to back. At, like, <clears throat> like, first look at MTV. <laughs> uh, what kind of projects are, are you hoping to bring uh, to MTV? Like, what kind of stuff should people expect from you and your first look deal? Um... Um, rebellious projects, but also pure perspectives. I, I want to, I'm just trying to tap into, um, work across, tap into other youth, tap into people who, who are young minded, who have different ideas, new ideas. Um, but of course I'm trying to create black stuff as well while I'm there. I mean, right. I, I don't know if there's a lot of black content. I joke and say, you said it was just us three on, on MTV. You can't forget about wilding out, but, uh, yeah, I don't know if, if there's a lot of original content centered around, um, people of color at MTV. So I'm just trying to make sure that I am creating opportunities for us. Oh, amazing, amazing. All right, before we go, tell us uh, when is when everything is coming out. Do you even know? Do you have, I know you got two singles out right now. Oh, you yeah. have, or have I have I seen two singles? Are those both officially I got, out? I got two out. I got um, Uncle Elroy featuring Fabulous and Aaron Ray right now. And I have Acting Out featuring Nomad P out right now. And then, um, I probably yeah I got another uh, session coming out on on actually March 11th uh, featuring Buddy and Aaron Ray. Oh I wow, Buddy. Yeah, and that's that one's called My Love. I'm super excited about that one. Yeah, Buddy is amazing. All right, Stilo Brim. Thank you. Check him out. He's doing everything: Thank music, it. TV, first look deal, MTV, wine and weed podcast. He is everywhere doing everything, man. Continue success, brother. I'm going to come over to the crib soon. Thank you, my brother. Hi, right, boy. All right, my man. All right, Thank peace. you very so much. So nice to meet my you. My pleasure. All right, you didn't like Sterling before that. You told me you didn't like him. Do you like him now? I 
to, don't it's start true. rumors like that. Don't be like, I am welcoming of all the guests we have on this podcast. Listen, I'm trying to figure out how I can be like Stilo. He has a successful show on the network I used to be on. Just trying to understand the secret to the success. Burnout like almost took me out. <laughs> be honest with you. Burnout almost took me out. <laughs> we almost did that on the podcast. <laughs> it's fucked up. But the I'd love to have Dre on the podcast. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get her. She said she's not doing any podcasts for a while. She said that she's all fucked up. Um, so she's, <laughs> she's not doing any podcasts for a while. But if she yeah, does, can't guarantee we will cut things out. <laughs> we'll we play it as is. We'll get her on here. All right. I, I want to get your opinion on this. GOP. We're in its ugly head. This is Daryl Issa mm. at CPAC on Friday, where he was questioning whether or not Vice President Kamala Harris really understands the black experience the the policies that she adhered to and propagated in california what what of those in california did she take to dc were, were there any that she left behind i don't think she left any behind she certainly took the belief that uh, the president was out of touch was a racist they didn't understand what black uh, experience was like and certainly didn't understand the uh, the school busing or any of that. So I, I don't think any of that's changed. Uh, but remember, this is this is a, a young woman who grew up with all the benefits. Her family—they're both, uh, you know, a doctorate level. They uh, uh, they enjoyed a, a beautiful home in a in a good area of Oakland, and he she enjoyed the best growing up. Uh, and so I'm not sure that her telling him he didn't understand the black experience. I'm not sure she really understands it. Okay, so look, I listened to that and I thought that was pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. uh, fucked up, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of motherfuckers in the comments was agreeing with Daryl Issa. Okay. We kind of touched on this a little bit on the podcast, but were they agreeing? I didn't see the comments, but were they agreeing with him in the sense that was it this whole argument of she doesn't understand the African-American experience because her parents are immigrants? Was it that that people were agreeing with? Because otherwise I'm not understanding where there's any type of there's any other way to see this. They were saying and I, I put this up on Twitter. People were like, let's be honest. What Kamala doesn't really understand the black experience. She doesn't really get it. A lot of people, there were people that were putting up graphs and charts saying that there is a certain proximity to blackness that has to do with poverty and has to do with this and has to do That's with that. That's so unfair. <sighs> because here, here, here's the thing. And this is where I, I take offense to this kind of stuff. So I talk about situations in my book where I was constantly told as a child that I wasn't black. Right. I was constantly told that I was a white girl. You're not black enough because of the job my parents had, because I lived in an all black neighborhood. I went to an all black church, uh -huh. but because I talked a certain way, I went to a predominantly white school. A lot of my friends were white. I was told that I wasn't black, which is very confusing and traumatizing when you look in the mirror and you see a black person, your parents are telling you you're black. You're learning about the black experience because you are black, but your peers are telling you that, oh, you're not black enough. As if there's some measure that I don't quite fit or measure up to because I, I guess what I'm doing in my daily life doesn't equate to being black. And I think that this is extremely problematic within our own community we have to understand the phrase that blackness is not monolithic. And here's the thing. I might come or a monolith. It's not a monolith. 
When I come from, I used it in the wrong way the first time. When I come from, if I, if I come from a certain background or my parents have a certain job or I live in a certain house, have a certain neighborhood, that doesn't, isn't written on my forehead. That's not something that I wear across my chest. When I step into the world, I am black. And but my upbringing doesn't separate me from being black when the world is going to identify me in that way. And it is extremely harmful for black people to strip away other black people's blackness just because I don't fit your definition. And I just find this so, I, I, I just, I, how can we not get past this at this point? How are we not past that black people are not all the same way? And it's problematic for you to say blackness equals this. It's one thing when a white person is problematic because they're trying to tell black people how they're black. It's a whole nother thing when black people are dismissing other black people. I, I just, it, this, is, this is something that, you know, it strikes a nerve with me and yeah. it gets under my skin yeah. because stop telling people that they aren't black because they don't fit your definition. Okay. The world is going to tell me I'm black. Yeah, the world's gonna tell you you're black. Okay, can we can can we can I have can I have some latitude to to Uh-oh. to be? <laughs> uh oh. Okay, 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 okay. You wait. with the comments? I'm not oh with the comments. God. I'm not with the comments. Okay. Really, to be okay. honest with you, I'm not with the comments. First of all, because the comments are saying that Daryl East had the right to say that. I'm not with the comments. First of all, I don't know about enough about the background, but I will tell you this though. We'll tell you this though. Is there no cultural definition of blackness? Because this is why I asked the question. This criticism is not exclusive to blackness. I've heard Jews say this about other Jews, Jewish in name mm-hmm. only. I've heard uh <laughs> I've heard yeah. some of my Mexican friends criticize my other Mexican friends that don't speak Spanish. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I have to. Like mm-hmm. I've I've this exists in almost every single culture to where like there was an episode of the Sopranos where uh, Tony Sopranos um, Tony Sopranos uh, uh, therapist Dr. Melfi is talking to her her ex-husband her ex-husband who is Italian Mm -hmm. just like Tony is but is further removed in her opinion Mm -hmm. from Italian uh, like cultural mores and values than Tony is and, and so whatever, whatever. She's criticizing him for it, you know, a different type. So what I'm saying is. And he's criticizing Tony for being, he's criti- for putting a bad name on, on Italian. On Italian. Yes. Yeah, you know that, right? Both ways. Right. Mm-hmm. So this criticism exists in every single ethnic group that I've seen at some point. Like, sure. And, you know, I remember working at TMZ. We had Jewish guys at TMZ who were religious. And we had Jewish guys at TMZ who weren't religious, but they were all culturally Jewish, meaning they mm-hmm. observed Jewish culture, except for one of them who didn't do any of it. And they gave, they used to get on his ass about it. So I think this exists everywhere. I guess the question is, because I don't think I don't have a problem with those things existing, because you can opt out of your blackness. You definitely can. And I've seen guys uh, who've done it. Seen it. Seen it many right, a times. Right. I guess the question is, what constitutes that, right? Because, so, you grew up in an all-black neighborhood. You went to an all-black church. You did all those things, right? I do know people that I grew up with that went to all-white schools that were on the other side of town. And I got to be honest with you. They weren't trying to fuck with us. 
Like they oh, really, I know them. they really weren't trying to fuck with us. And either it was because their parents had made the decision that living culturally tethered to us was in some way going to hold them back from ascending in America or if it had to do with different factors, but it exists. So I guess the question is what constituted, I have been, I've been called a white boy just for the way that I talk. Sure. I remember my friend Nelson got on one of my other friends' ass, asses because he was like, don't ever tell him that again. There was, there, mm-hmm. He was like, don't tell him that. He said, that nigga gonna go somewhere and you gonna be somewhere selling t-shirts on the side of the road. I'll never forget that. Like, never forget that he told him that. So, I've been there before. It never bothered me because all of my friends were black. I was playing a lot of basketball. I was playing basketball with all black kids. I lived in South Baton Rouge. I went to all black schools and all of that stuff. I don't think that's the measure of blackness, but certainly there is one. And the question well, is, what would it be? Well, it allow people to tell you that they've opted out of it. I think it's very obvious when black people ain't fucking with other black people. Right. That wasn't me. Right. I ran summer track with them. I lived in with their them. neighborhood. <gasps> I play- oh my God. Stop. <laughs> I'm just Stop. I'm fucking I with lived you. in I I you know, no, I know. Yeah. I know. I I played in the neighborhood. I wasn't like, ooh, I don't want to go outside because I go to a predominantly white school. My parents instilled in me who I was, but it was hurtful when neighborhood kids or kids I ran with the summer track would tell me that I wasn't simply because of the school I went to or the way I talk, where I spent the majority of my day. Word. So I think it's, yes, there are absolutely, I know too many black people who constantly opt out of their blackness, who praise when when other people tell them they're not like other black people. But what I have a problem with Daryl Issa, and maybe those people in the comments is, he's saying, she is not affiliated with blackness because she ain't linked to poverty. Because she's not poverty that, and struggle, yeah. Exactly. Stop do first of all, stop defining non-black people. Please stop telling black people about themselves. Stop defining us. Stop telling us what equates to blackness. You of all people have absolutely no idea. And so I do think that there that there are certain measures, but poverty and struggle should not be one of them. If a person opts out of being black and doesn't want to be affiliated or accepts certain comments that are like, oh, you're pretty for a black person or you don't act like them and, and relishes in that kind of thinking, those are people who opt out of the black experience who don't want to be affiliated. He that, said, he said, there's a difference. He said two educated parents in a stable home. I like to think I came from that. And we was some, we was some niggas. You did. We would we would we were so. What was the, let me ask you a question, seriously. What was the most niggerish thing about your parents? Tell me the most niggerish thing about the judge know. and pretty hair. <laughs> I don't know if I can pick something they, between them. Did they ever do niggerish things like, like I remember my mom. Mason, the guy that came to cut the lights off. <laughs> <laughs> no, they didn't do that. Yes, she did. They my didn't mother, do that. My mother had this. <laughs> my mother had this bottle of mace. Was he? Was he white? Was he white? He had come to cut the lights off, and she was. She was saying that God. Wait a minute. She was saying that God said. That she said we're gonna be in the dark and she was praying that he said his feet no no oh okay God. no yes i swear to god if she lying i'm flying 
Like she lies, she's spraying mace at the feet of the guy who was coming to cut the lights off. I promise you. No. I swear. We don't have that. It was getting in people's fucking eyes. Woo! <laughs> yes, I've been mace pepper spray before. Yeah. Like that's that no, that no. There's no moment like that. It would have to extend to my extended family, and I'd have to think about that for a second. Yeah. Like the real nigger is shit. But by 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 way, that has nothing to do with being black. Has to do with being niggers. Exactly. Like my, my exactly. yeah, has nothing to do with being black. And there is a shut up. Fuck you. Yeah. It's, boy, see, that's what happens. That's what happens. That's just, Actually, though, I'd rather you be that way than trying to be someone else. Like be overtly racist to me. I don't don't do it in any kind of covert way. Just just be racist. If you're gonna be racist, just be racist. Now I know what I'm dealing with. Sports Corner, where we talk about bouncing balls. Yeah, Sports <laughs> Corner. Let's get it on. One last, uh, one last, one last topic here, and I, you know, I don't want to, um, I want to cross the line of certain friendships and acquaintances that I have, but I don't understand the big fellow on this one. Sha- Shaquille, I love you. I love your whole family. Uh-huh. Shawnee, thank you for getting me into Shaq's Funhouse. Uh, shout out to Sharif. Shout out to Miles. Shout out to Shakir. Shout out to all of Shout out to the whole family. I love the whole family. I love you guys. Run this audio, Donnie. Shaq, we used to always play um, jokes. Yeah. Shaq is a jokester. Oh, yeah. So if one of the rookies would be in a stall, he would take a bucket and use the bathroom in it for about a week. And then all of a sudden, he'll pour it on them. That was Gary Payton talking to Vlad TV about his playing time with Shaquille O'Neal, saying that Shaq would pee in a bucket all week long. You didn't specify pee. He Uh, just said use a bathroom. Thank you. I was just about to say that. It is unclear if he went number one or two in that bucket. Okay. And then he would... uh, Take the bucket and throw it on the rookies while they were using the bathroom. Uh, do you have a friend in your life? That's- no. Thank you. If he was, he's former. A past tense. That would ever even think. to Like, Shaq's a funny guy. So funny. This, this isn't funny. I, I'm, I'm struggling to find the humor in this, the only person laughing is Shaq. And also, where was the bucket kept? You know what I mean? I, I just, I just have so many questions. Were you keeping it to, in like your your locker in your off? Like, where was this? Where nobody realized that there was a bucket of piss and poop? Because I'm gonna assume it was both. Right. Sloshed up in this bucket. I just, I don't understand. And then Gary, why weren't you stopping him? Yeah. Why were you allowing this to happen? One day, this could have been you. Yeah. Yeah, this is so great. It's it, there's there's no humor in this. Shaq, you're better than this. It's disgusting. Has Shaq responded? Uh, he hasn't yet. He 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 hasn't. <laughs> Do you ever smell weak old piss? Uh, why would I have? I've smelled it. Why? Because during the pandemic, I would like listen. So dur- <laughs> so during the pandemic, I was yeah. like at like one of my worst times, right? And I would take these drives. Like, and these drives would last hours. Like, there was nobody on the freeway, so I literally drove okay. to every part of L.A. 
Man, I drive out to Montclair, Rancho Cucamonga, just drive, 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 drive. Anything to keep my mind off the crippling fear that I was going through, right? Drive all over the place, just drive, 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 drive. And there were no bathrooms. So you couldn't go into any place and use the bathroom. Every single bathroom was closed. So what I would do was I would take a water bottle like see these water bottles that I drink out of I've done a, I've done it on a long road trip right and I would piss in these how do you piss in them make it happen how do how could a how could a woman piss in a water bottle you guys don't have that it's, same you can't it's possible it happens it's possible so I would piss in these right might not be pretty but it's possible <laughs> I would piss in these and I would have them in the car and it got to a point to where literally in the car I might have four of these Filled up with piss. What? Why were we not getting rid of them as soon as it happened? I don't why know. Why didn't you just pull over to the middle of anywhere? Like now, that's a luxury that you have that we don't have. Can you I be honest? Pulled over. I'm afraid of the cops. Yeah. Okay. Like, like, so the, the reason why I can't do that, the reason why I never did that, is because I'm afraid of the police. And at that time, I did, I didn't want to pull over and piss on the side of the road and have the fucking cops stop me and now I got a situation sure. where I didn't got shot in my shit because I was taking a piss. So I just sure. piss in these and it was, a bunch of people would catch me. They would be like, oh, oh laughing him, pissing, pissing at me. Oh, look at the nigga from TMZ. He can't hold his shit. And then one day, I'm like, I wonder what this smells like. It's been in here oh for a while. Oh my God. It's the worst thing. I would imagine. It's, it's fucking terrible. one day in. Yeah. So the reality That's is disgusting. that uh, we're going to end up there. We're going to end the fucking podcast there. Shaq, love you to death. I would have stabbed you with a knife. But ew. Yeah. I would have stabbed you with a knife. That's on Sports Corner. When we come back on the next Sports Corner uh, after this, we got to talk about the fucking Lakers and the fact that the shit is fucking horrible. I know. The game against the Pelicans. It's terrible. I, you know, I don't, I don't typically watch the games. Brian had it on, and I was like, "What is happening?" No, you don't watch the WNBA. You watch the NBA. No, stop, stop, <laughs> stop. <laughs> All right, no fans. Very serious question. Thank you for Steelo Brim uh, to yep. being on the podcast today. We give you, we give you guys a fat hour thirty, hour thirty five. So we're not going to do serious question. I guess we'll do it on Thursday. I will have an unexpected ally of the week this week. I already know who it is. There Ooh. won't be an unexpected enemy of the week. Okay? But who knows, guys? Sure, Reddit's thrilled. Who Stop. Knows? It could happen. It could happen. But, but you know what people can expect on Thursday? What? A recap, a discussion of Snowfall. Yeah, we got to do it. Okay? We're going to be we're going to be 3 episodes in at this point. Three and it's in. good already. 2 episodes in, it's good. It's going crazy. Good. And also, uh I might be doing something on Green Room, Rachel we have, we haven't talked about this. Mm-hmm. I might be doing a weekly green room, and as part of that weekly green room, okay, part of this weekly green room, I know that you're not going to have time to do it, but as part of this weekly green room, I might, I might recap Rachel's season of The Bachelorette. Okay, I, I have I, I, to do I, I, a green room per contract, <laughs> so let me go ahead. Hop right, in. right, right. Like, let me go ahead we might do in. Thought Warriors call in green room situation, uh, where we could do like basically like a call in show. You know, uh, yeah. and I might I might have to recap Rachel's season of The Bachelorette because Rachel, I saw Go ahead. I started I started watching it and damn, no, I did. I Wait, had to. You didn't tell me you still. I Wait, how many it. episodes in? Just the first episode. Just the first episode. 
Oh. It's just so dear. It's so weird to see you in this situation. It's so I have, crazy. Well, I have to pop on green room. No, I have to. I wait, to wait, wait. So saying. I can't just talk. I can't just talk to people about your season of The Bachelorette without you. Yeah, you can. I just got to hear it. Okay, this is interesting. Fucking Brian. I'll join you. Jesus Christ, Brian. All right. All right. Uh, tell you thing caps off, but do not stop learning. I am Van Lathan Jr. I'm Rachel and Lindsay. Bye, guys. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.